Brought to you by Leave the Ring Network. All boxing, no filter. Oh! It's another knockdown. He's not getting up, Jim. He get up. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up. No, he's been knocked out. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. AJ does it in style. Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Tuesday, April 16th, and this is the Fistionados podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Rakowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. The email is fistianatos at yahoo.com, and the Twitter feed is at fistianatospod. We are also brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. We're going to do a Q&A this week, uh, so before I get into the review section, we'll go We'll talk about that next episode. Is going. I'm going to look at the zone and this all important stretch of a few weeks of fight and fights, like really good fights. You know, probably the first really great stretch of fights we've seen on the zone. And we're gonna have another fun little section this week uh, that will come up right before the Q and A. So let's get to the review section right away. On Saturday, April sixth, we had virtually nothing, and we had nothing that whole weekend. So I'm actually going to head to Friday, April 12th, where we had Vasily Lomachenko winning by KO4 over Anthony Krola and then Zerto Ramirez stopping Tommy, Tommy Carpency by KO5. This was on ESPN+. Plus. I was at this fight at the Staples Center. It was a really good crowd that basically filled the lower bowl. Uh, there were no ratings, obviously, because it was on an OTT platform, but I will say that, uh, especially in the day or two before the fight, ESPN Plus and ESPN were doing a pretty solid job of promoting the fight. I saw a lot of social media promotion. There was a lot of on-air on linear ESPN, uh, and and I think it is an event every time someone like Lomachenko fights. I think there's probably six or seven of those fighters in this day and age, and he might be towards the top of that list where, you know, maybe there's two or three that, that it's, you know, it's sort of an event, maybe not a commercial event, but sort of a boxing community event. And look, this was clearly an overmatched opponent situation. The odds were 100 to 1. And to be perfectly honest, I'm not even sure Krola had a 1% chance of winning. It was still a really impressive performance by Lomachenko. I don't mind fighters taking care of mandatory title fights. Like, that's what this was. As long as we see them more regularly because this wasn't a quote-unquote like big commercial fight, it sounds like Loma has a small injury, but we'll still see him again in September. Shouldn't be a big deal. You know, the big question for Lomachenko is what does the rest of this year look like? Because if we only – and this is sort of – this is – I've talked about this a lot with Errol Spence, especially from twenty Errol Spence's 2018. Like if we get – Errol Spence's 2018 for Lomachenko in 2019, then then no one's happy here. I mean, if if we only get him fighting one more fight this year 
and it's not like one of his big ones out there, then, I mean, that's, that's an issue. I would say, you know, the Richard Comey fight, Mikey Garcia, Tank Davis, which, I mean, obviously probably won't happen soon. And then Tiafimo Lopez. I mean, Tiafimo, I would love to see that. You know, Luke Campbell, not so much. If we're going to see Luke Campbell in 2019, then we got to see three fights. Like, that's Luke Campbell is a fight that you can go do in a stadium in the UK, fight earlier in the day, be on ESPN Plus, or, you know, or, or on ESPN if you can time it out right with another big afternoon sporting event. But it's not something that's a that's a tentpole event by any means, you know, and, and, and there are bigger fights out there for Lomachenko. I mean, even I think the Richard Comey fight, I think I'd, I'd be really interested in seeing that. Um, let's go to FS1 on Saturday, April 13th. The main event here was Peter Quillen versus Caleb Truax. That was a no contest due to a massive cut on Truax. We got to see Joey Spencer go six rounds uh, for his first win of his career that went the distance. And then a pretty good fight. Sergei uh, Derevchenko wins a close unanimous decision against Jack Kolke. The show averages 181,000 viewers. It was the 142nd rated show of the day on cable. And look, not a great overall number here, but a lot of mitigating factors, including the show starting like an hour later than it was scheduled to, thus screwing up a lot of DVRs on a night with three boxing fights, you know, three different shows, and you didn't really want your DVR screwed up. Uh, the Mets, just for context, the Mets-Braves game that came on before it went late, and <clears throat> it's not like it did great. I think it, it only did 287,000 viewers. And I think the good news here is that Yes, there was a drop-off, but we didn't see this huge drop-off like we did the last PBC boxing show on FS1 with NASCAR. You know, baseball and boxing go pretty well together, so I think that's a good sign. And I don't know, in, you know, in terms of the actual show, I don't know, you know, PBC and Fox needs to make a few adjustments. I mean, going back to the DVR, like, I went an hour over on mine, and I didn't even make it to the start of the main event. And this is a problem that, you know, for the PBC is unique only to FS1, but it's an issue for top rank on ESPN as well. You know, baseball and boxing, like I said, they go well together, but baseball is a sport that's really hard to time out. I mean, I think on the Fox side, I think it's ridiculous to allot only three hours for a game. Most games are going to go over that. I'm not sure what effect it really had for this it's impossible to say but there's just no scenario where it's good because in a night where you have a lot of other boxing options when you turn on something because because to be clear i mean like on this night the clarissa shields fight and then the caleb truex uh peter quillen fight were by far the best two fights on saturday at least scheduled on paper and if you realize, you know, you turn on the game and if it's in like the seventh inning of a Mets game, you know, you're just going to change the channel. So that, I mean, that's, I think they lost some significant audience there and, and, you know, that's okay. I mean, at the end of the day, and, and Aram has talked about this a lot for top rank, it's a good problem to have. At the end of the day, you'd rather have a baseball lead-in. You'd rather have live sports as a lead-in. You'd rather get the promotion you're getting, the PBC is, is getting on 
big Fox when it was when football was on, and now hopefully what we'll see on baseball and, and soon to be WWE. But that's that's just something you sign up for. I don't really know what the solution is. I don't think it's to just automatically push stuff to FS2 or stuff like that. You know, the, the, there are possible solutions like that. I don't think that really helps your numbers. Uh, let's take a look. Let's take a look at the actual broadcast because I think, you know, Fox has taken a lot of crap for their broadcast. There are two real bright spots for me. And I, I tweeted about this. I didn't talk about it last episode, but I was, I, you know, I could have talked about it last episode for sure. We, we've seen enough evidence now. Marcos Viegas and Jordan Hardy are definitely bright spots. Uh, Viegas scores the fights. Jordan Hardy does like the ringside interviews, stuff like that. Uh, Marcos is from Fight Hub TV, and you know he's always at events grabbing interviews wherever he can. It's clearly trained him how to articulate good points related to scoring a fight to and and to do it more importantly quickly in a fast paced you know when you're in that fast paced digital universe and not on slower paced broadcast television. Uh, it's it's clearly trained him to do it well. I think he's great at it. Jordan Hardy is also someone you look at her at first glance and you're like, oh, that's just another pretty face doing interviews as she's hoping to eventually get like an NFL sideline gig or something like that. Uh, that's not the case with her. She asks really insightful questions. She does it in a short period of time. She understands not only how to get a good quote, but get it fast and, and wrap it up in the, the time frame allotted. Uh, and I actually thought, I mean, there was a moment in the Dariyevchenko fight where the announcers were all trying, they were all laboring to make this point that Sergey had a great amateur pedigree. And then I think a few minutes later, during one of the breaks, you know, Jordan basically did it better than they all did in a shorter period of time. And, you know, I know that she's not like your normal uh, boxing person. You know, she's engaged to Caleb Plant. She should know more about the sport. Uh, but count me, I'm impressed with both of them so far. And I'm hopeful that Fox will figure out some of these other broadcasting issues that, that seem to have lingered. I know the pay-per-view was sort of the big moment for them, but they, but they seem to linger in some of these shows. And it's not to say that everyone else is bad. I just think those two in particular are doing a really strong job right now. As for the actual fight in the, in the letdown, look, I think this stuff happens – I'm not that mad about it. I would love to see them fight. I'm fine seeing them fight once Truax has cut heels. And you know what? It, even if it takes too long to heal and we just get, you know, and, and, and Quillen gets a bigger fight, I mean, that's okay. I think both guys should get a chance. You know, they're both good fighters. They're both, neither has great pedigree at this point, but I want to see them, you know, in, in bigger fights and see what they can do. All right, so let's stay on Saturday, April 13th. Let's go over to Showtime. We have Clarissa Shields beating Christine Hammer by unanimous decision to unify the women's middleweight division. I'm not even going to go over the other fights in the card uh, because they were terrible or uh, something. They were something, that's for sure. As for a rating, this fight average, and this is just this fight, not the entire show. The fight averaged 339,000 viewers. It peaked at 369,000 viewers. It was the 57th rated cable show of the day. The other fights on the card did terrible numbers. They were like around 200,000 viewers or less. 
I am a big fan of Clarissa Shields. I loved watching her dominate this fight. She took it to the next level. There's a couple of things I didn't like. I'm, I know she's been on Showbox a bunch. I'm not sure why this one needed to be a Showbox card. Like the other fights were clearly at Showbox level. In terms of, of the types of prospects or opponents you're seeing on it, and I think if we're being honest, like Shields should be on Showtime's highest level shows at this point. You know, she's that good. More on this later in the Q and A. As far as the actual numbers goes, Shields has gotten better ratings than this on other Showbox cards on Friday nights. And look, in addition, we there were multiple other options for boxing this night. It was also, I didn't say this for the FS1 card, it was the start of the NBA playoffs. And those games dominated the ratings. There were two of the three games on ESPN did over 2 million viewers. I think one hit 2.4 in an average. Uh, the ABC game averaged close to 5 million viewers. There's just a lot going on. And the, and the final fight uh, on Saturday, April 13th on zone. we had Jaime Munguia winning a very close decision against Dennis Hogan from Monterey, Mexico. Munguia was a huge favorite coming in. There is a strong argument he lost the fight. And there's a lot of other stuff to get here to get to here, but I think I've always been intrigued by Munguia as a fighter. I've been intrigued by what to do with his career. And how it goes. And I think we're almost at the point where it's interesting enough to me where it could be its own deep dive soon. More on that later, but let's just say he got away with one here. All right. So before we get into the Q&A from listeners, there's a fun little thing. I had a back and forth with one of my favorite podcasts, the guys from State of Combat, Brian Campbell and Rafe Bartholomew. Uh, and I'm just trying something new here. Tell me if you like it. I love, I love that podcast. It's a fun one. That's usually, it's the perfect mix of potty humor and, and actually, and, you know, like real insightful boxing talk and they get into a lot of the business aspects of it. And so, you know, we had a little chat on DMs, uh, in Twitter. Our DMs are obviously not as cool as athletes DMs, but, we got into it, and we thought this would be a little fun idea. So I'm going to answer two of the questions. I'm going to answer one question from from each of the last two shows they did, because I haven't been on since then, that really addressed marketing and business issues for you know fighters or, or sort of brand-building plans that they've talked about. So first on the list, last week, they asked about DAZN's marketing plan because DAZN was running ads in WrestleMania and on Bill Simmons' podcast. Like, what is DAZN doing here? They might be going after too casual of an audience. And look, here's what I'd say, fellas. If I was DAZN, I would definitely be doing this kind of ad buy. DAZN is not in this business to only court boxing fans to go watch big events. They desperately need to get casuals on board, too. And look, this will even touch on a question that I'll talk about later. But DAZN's, one of DAZN's biggest problem right now is that too few people in the mainstream know or understand what DAZN is. Like their clear end game is something I've talked about a little bit on this podcast before. I'm definitely going to talk about it a lot next week. It's getting one of those bigger league exclusive contracts. Like maybe it's the Red Zone or Sunday ticket package for NFL. Maybe it's some kind of exclusive digital package for the NBA next time those rights become available. And in order to get something like that, DAZN 
He's doing several different things. Like, first of all, they're building relationships with these leagues by streaming their content in foreign countries. Like, they, you know, example, they do the NFL in Canada. And they're showing the leagues that they can do a good job and make it make it look really professional uh, in, the, in, in their presentation. And then second, they're throwing a ton of money at boxing, like much to some people's happiness and other people's chagrin. But they're doing it with the strategy of not only capturing the hardcore fans, but the casual fans as well, and proving that they can handle a stream where, you know, maybe over a million people are watching a major event. And I'm sure if, if triple, you know, if triple G and Canelo both win their fights coming up soon, I'm, I'm sure, you know, even if they may or may not get to a million subscribers for Canelo versus Jacobs, if they don't, they'll definitely get to a million subscribers for Canelo triple G three in September, which you'd think would be next. But anyways, so those two things, and then they obviously have uh, a ton of money to throw at a league. They're selling off part of their business, and they will use that to presumably acquire a, a league contract and, and overpay for an NFL, NBA you know, type of contract. And before they do that, they need casual sports fans to – understand what DAZN is and why they should subscribe. And the larger overall point here is this doesn't end well for the in the U.S. for DAZN if they don't get boxing casuals on board. And when you look at the WWE, it profiles as a really strong candidate for crossover for a few reasons. First of all, it is a combat sport, or for you know lack of a better term, a, a combat live event with an audience that is already conditioned to pay a monthly fee for content that is a solid buy. The BS report likely skews younger, male, higher income. It's probably, it, you know, it's people who at the very least should know what DAZN is. They also, in addition to advertising on the podcast, they also got John Skipper on the podcast, which in my business is called Earned Media. And I'm sure a lot of people listen to that. And so they not only understood, you know, the, the Skipper and Bill Simmons portion of the conversation, but they also understood what DAZN is now and why he's there. And now when they listen to the ads, they know what DAZN is and they understand why they're getting them. That's great. You know, it, it'll, like I said, it will take one, if not two major fights before the general public really probably figures out that they, what they have to do, they have to go to the zone and, and that's how they're getting the fight this time. Instead of the May 4th, you know, the Cinco de Mayo pay-per-view that they traditionally get, they have to, you know, on their cable system, they have to go, figure out how to do it on DAZN and they'll probably be psyched when they find out it's only 20 bucks instead of 80 bucks or 75 bucks or whatever. Uh, but that's the logic behind that, you know, podcasts too, especially ones like bills are really expensive, but they are good bets in terms of laying brand awareness groundwork to ultimately push, you know, to get what they need to be several hundred thousand people to subscribe for the Canelo fight on May 4th. What I would say is missing from this initial push is something that really skews Hispanic and or African-American. And, you know, you just think that these two plays in particular, they hit the target casual audience really well. But, you know, in, in terms of the May 4th fight, and I'm sure we'll see more targeted marketing coming up soon, DAZN has the most popular Mexican fighter in the world taking on an African-American fighter from Brooklyn in a fight that clearly moves well beyond those two demographics in terms of who it appeals to. Uh, so DAZN needs to push heavily into courting these audiences 
and we're not really talking about anything like that yet. So that's the first issue from from the folks at State of Combat. Second issue, last episode that came out, I guess today, they pondered about how to market Clarissa Shields going forward, and I thought this was a really fun one to attack. I think there's a complex solution for it. They threw out some ideas like having her fight a bunch of tomato cans, a la Ronda Rousey style, sort of like build up or falling with a bunch of quick KOs, maybe do a celebrity fight. And I actually think the before you do anything else, the first step in this process is to really find the right partner here. Shield's main issue is that she's going to face... Like her, the main issue she faces right now is the complete lack of depth, not only in women's boxing, but specifically in her division. She's basically in one of the heavier divisions for women that have any kind of talent at all. You know, she's 9 and 0 with two KOs. She's obviously got the two Olympic gold medals and we're already hearing legit arguments and I and I believe this that she's either the best women's boxer of all time or certainly on the Mount Rushmore. I mean, I think I don't know if I'm ready to say she's the best women's boxer of all time. I'm probably not qualified to make that argument. But I think just based on her accomplishments, you can certainly put her on the Mount Rushmore. So you clearly can't build up towards a big fight right now. Like Christine Hammer was the big fight. So it makes finding the right partner all that much more important because I think it's less about who Clarissa fights right now. And it's more about a network showing a real commitment, not just to airing her fights, but developing opponents for her so eventually she can get another really big fight and have it be with a recognizable opponent. And Shields, it, you know, it's not like, I mean, she has fought on Showtime the last few times, but she's also fought on HBO. She's also fought on DAZN. It's not like she's tethered to Showtime. And even her fights on Showtime were on Showbox. So it's not like she's been exclusively developed there or really even put on a big fight card yet. You know, the good things for Showtime are that they've shown a real commitment to spending money on her with shoulder programming based around her. But DAZN, on the other hand, has shown interest in televising women's boxing in in a much more real way, and they could be a partner that's more willing to develop opponents for her. And either way, I don't really care which way you go, but once you figure out that partner... I actually love the tomato can idea for at least phase one of this for a lot of reasons. I think Shields can basically fight four or five times a year for the next like 12, 18, maybe even 24 months and just dominate other women. What she's really lacking is awesome highlights. Inside the boxing community, some people say, you know, like I just said, she's in the conversation to be best ever. I, I, I guess I think that. Some people don't care about women's boxing at all. And then there's a lot of in-between of like, okay, I'll watch it if it's Katie Taylor or someone with a really exciting style. And I think Shields had an exciting style in this last fight. She wasn't always super exciting before that. But that's inside the hardcore boxing community. Out in just the general public, they need to see why she's in that conversation for best ever. And they need to do it. They need to see it with their actual eyes in a short clip package with a bunch of KO1s or KO2s or awesome highlights, and those just don't exist yet. I mean, she only has two wins by KO. You know, for me personally, too, if there's this much boxing going on, I don't mind seeing fast fights. Like, I don't mind seeing her in with a tomato can or two where it's a, you know, knockout in, in three or four minutes or whatever. 
I think as you're developing her, you need to be willing to move out of phase one and into a phase two where you finally have some more recognizable opponents. But those have to be built on the same network that you're televising her fights. And then you probably need to morph into kind of a Mayweather approach. And I don't mean by become, by playing a full heel, but I think with Mayweather, one of the interesting things is it's really it became more about marketing his opponents with the narrative that they actually have a chance to win against him. When in reality, most of them never did. That, But that's how you had to market the fight. And I think you can just sort of morph into that phase of it as her personality moves into the mainstream. You know, I, I, I like what she's doing right now. I mean, you know, I, I, there she's being semi-controversial, but ultimately she's an uplifting figure for a lot of reasons. And I don't think she should shy away from that. I think she should be who she is. And at that point in her career, she can probably fight less often and focus on making her fights more of an event, so to speak. You know, maybe not a pay-per-view fight, but just definitely more of, of an event that breaks through the clutter. Because right now, she doesn't break through the clutter. All right. Fun stuff. State of combat. Uh, let's move on to other questions. Let me know what you think and if you want any more of that. So let's start. So... Brad Jones asks about the pay-per-view splits. He says, quote-unquote, will we be seeing splits going down? Will we see Fox and other companies also taking out the middleman and putting pay-per-views on their own like ESPN Plus? I found it curious how little DirecTV promoted the Spence Garcia fight. Brad, I think there are a lot of different ways this can go. And I've, I've talked about this previously in terms of how imbalanced the splits are right now. I don't think you can say from an overall standpoint exactly how it's going to go because I think at least in terms of overall trends, I think some distributors really care about pay-per-view events on the whole, and some don't. Some feel like they can put extra money into the pot. They feel like they can get a lot of ROI uh, out of it. And some behave like they're just taking their 30 you know, or whatever percent split, and, and they're literally doing nothing for it. Uh, and we're also seeing the rise of digital distribution, where distributors are happy to probably take a smaller fee, you know, one of the things that has significantly changed since even Spence Garcia is that the UFC has taken their entire pay-per-view business over to ESPN+, which has scared a lot of the distributors in the traditional cable systems. Not all of them. I can tell you that firsthand. Not all of them. But some of them, yeah, it scared them. And I think you're going to see it just – it kind of depends which – if you subscribe to cable, it kind of depends which cable universe you live in. Uh, and, and if not, it, it just depends what distribution service you have, but it's a delicate balance because if you look at traditionally the cable systems, they used to promote WWE, UFC, boxing, and then, you know, a lot of movies, uh, that, that you would see like in, in that, that's where they brought in a lot of revenue. And now they're just down to boxing on the sports side and, you know, even less movies overall. I mean, it's more tentpole movies that that probably do still do pretty well. But you know, you also have the rise of Netflix making a lot more movies than they used to, which is surely going to impact that business as well. So I think it just depends how each business decides to look at this piece of the pie. Some of them are going to look at this and really want to keep it and hold on tighter to it, and others may not may not care. I mean, the natural reaction is you'd think they'd want to wrap their arms around it, you know, especially when you see a fighter like Canelo go to DAZN. Uh, but, 
you know, I, th- I think from the overall larger picture, yeah, you're going to see changes. Uh, but I think they could be a little bit more localized. You know, just remember, older generations are are still conditioned to paying for the pay-per-view for almost everything. And this is who the cable industry still primarily has. And I think the cable industry, I mean, I've been one of the leading proponents of streaming service in terms of looking at their business models and saying, hey, this is different than you think it is, and it's probably sustainable. I'll also say here, the cable if the cable industry changes its business model, and you've already seen some of that for sure, they can hold on for a long time. Like they're they're not out of this yet, and I think they will be forced to make more changes. Uh, they will be forced to streamline their business and and get very competitive. But if they remake their, you know, so I guess the question is on an individual basis. Are they going to focus on their core business, which, you know, pay-per-view money is just not part of anyone's core business, or are they not? And if they do, I think, you know, you, you will see a lot more. And, and, you know, if they don't, then you'll see, a, you know, a continued sort of tug of war. Um, but anyways, the, 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 you know, it's also different based on Fox versus ESPN and I think, I mean, that's a longer conversation, I think. Uh, but, you know, Showtime is different as well. I mean, HBO and Showtime, uh, and ESPN for that matter, get still get a large chunk of revenue from cable companies, from, from people who subscribe to their service on cable. That's where they make billions of dollars, and that's what accounts for a huge part of their business. Uh, so it's it's much more difficult for them, those companies on the whole to, you know, take an incredibly aggressive stance. But look, ESPN obviously doesn't care that much. They did it with the UFC on ESPN plus. Uh, Kaiser Clark asks when Finkel asked for Joshua's cut of the DAZN offer, was he really wanting open negotiations for his fighter or was he trying to discover what he would have to offer Joshua for a pay-per-view rematch with Wilder on a PBC platform and never really considering the offer? Kaiser, great question. And I'll give you the best answer I can give you with the info I have because I wasn't in the room. But in those rooms, here's what's really happening. The zone is doing their best to woo Wilder. And I'm sure based on the comments that Shelley Finkel has made after the fact, you know, he and Heyman were likely going into that with a very open mind. I mean, remember, they have openly said that they think that built correctly, the fight can do better on pay-per-view. But this is where it gets a little weird because if you build that fight correctly, I think it can, I think they're right. I think it can, I think you can do better than 40 million a piece for each fighter on pay-per-view. It's just the catches it needs to sell really, 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 really well. I mean, I did a whole podcast on this where I broke down the bare minimum, where you're probably still losing money if everything breaks right. But then, you know, and from that perspective, you're, you know, there, if I can do it and I'm sitting here in my house, like they're obviously sitting in the room calculating what the fight needs to do on pay-per-view for it to be a success from their end. And they're making a percentage of Wilder's money. So, I mean... If they're turning down over a hundred million dollars, they're literally turning down probably close to or over eight figures each. 
So they're not doing it lightly. They probably didn't go in thinking to themselves, oh, I'm automatically going to turn down 10 or 15 million bucks or what, you know, whatever it is. I mean, they also need to be representing Wilder in terms of what he wants. And clearly what he wants is flexibility so he can, it isn't tied down to one network for a large amount of fights. And, and, you know, for, so for DAZN, he, he obviously wants the Fury fight again. And that deal didn't provide for it. I mean, I think the bottom line is this Finkel and Heyman understand that they do need to make the big fights for Wilder. They know that the AJ and Fury fights are out there and that they do need to eventually happen. So I just think those negotiations are very dynamic. And I mean, what I, what I mean by that is they're living, breathing things. It's not like you're playing a video game where you hit a certain number and, and then that's it. Like you're not playing Madden negotiating with a free agent or something like that. Um, and look, I mean, I think there may have been a scenario. I'm sure Wilder may have signed that agreement if it was 60 million bucks and it was 20 million for Brazil and 40 million for AJ with, with just one fight. I mean, oddly, I think a shorter offer with less guaranteed overall money might've been more appealing to him. Um, you know, the only thing I'd add is it complicates things greatly when you factor in that Heyman is both a manager and a content provider. As a manager, he and Finkel made uh, what I called a few episodes a pretty close call, and, and but one I can live with, with turning down that DAZN money. You know, the real question is how much pressure is Heyman facing as a content provider to keep his A-list talent on pay-per-view with his, with his preferred vendor? Because I think it's clear that Fox or Showtime and ESPN will work together if if there's a fight on pay-per-view between Wilder and Fury. And I mean, I think that makes it a really big fight. I mean, Heyman needs both ends of this to work out. He can't have Wilder lose to Brazil and then lose those big guarantees because that will damage him immensely as a manager. He also can't risk his relationship with Fox and Showtime because he can't lose the money that they're providing him in contracts because that's how he keeps his other fighters paid and busy. So weirdly, that would also damage him as a manager. Um, so the bottom line is, I don't think there was one agenda going in. I mean, I think if it was truly the right offer, I think they both would have said, take it because they, you know, especially him who manages a lot more fighters, needs to be able to legitimately say to his fighter, if this big money fight was in there in Wilder's best interest, you know, I'm the kind of guy who will let him walk away from these uh, content providers that I have deep, you know, relationships with and, and requirements of time to fill. Um, you know, again, like the bottom line is if they would have offered Wilder 60 or 70 million for two fights, I mean, Heyman probably could do damage control with Fox or Showtime. That isn't that much time. And if Wilder won both the Brazil fight and the first AJ fight, Wilder could come back to pay-per-view, fight Fury on either Fox or Showtime pay-per-view in conjunction with ESPN, and everybody would be thrilled. I mean, the affiliates would be thrilled. They would have to put less, either they'd be thrilled to put more marketing money into it uh, and, and make more money, and they just look at it as Wilder has already climbed one or two of those bigger sort of, you know, hills to get to the point where he is a legitimate big-time star. You know, either way, dynamic par uh, marketplace, lots of nuance. 
Fernando Lamas asks, is there some Sun Tzu philosophical type of strategy being employed by DAZN? They've been cleverly poking and prodding, looking for weakness in the PBC, all the while raising the stakes for the PBC to hold their position. Most boxing pundits may be foolishly snickering at DAZN. Fernando, I really think DAZN's goal is to build up their subscriber base enough so it's sustainable and attractive to what I've mentioned earlier, that sort of NFL-NBA contract. I think the MLB contract is interesting, but not quite at that level yet. Uh, and I think when you look back at it, the you know, the 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 it's the wrong way to think about when you say poking and prodding at the PBC. I actually think what they should have done is signed an exclusive agreement with the PBC from the get-go. I mean, how incredible would that have been for DAZN? Rather than have Eddie Hearn try and steal PBC fighters, they just could have gotten all the PBC fighters, like thrown all their money at the PBC and gotten all those guys to fight, not on pay-per-view, uh, over on DAZN. I mean, in this world, many boxing pundits, yeah, you're right, they have been snickering at DAZN because they've been, quote-unquote, overpaying for fighters. I really think that's up for debate. I mean, I did a whole episode analyzing their deal for Canelo. I'm not sure they're overpaying for him at all. I mean, if he fought those 10 or 11 fights all on pay-per-view and sold the international rights because they own his worldwide rights, I'll bet he would make more money fighting on pay-per-view and selling the international rights than what he's getting from DAZN. We also don't know if it's all guaranteed or where the outs are. Now, when you look at... That's Canelo. I think when you look at like over, are they overpaying Tevin Farmer or are they overpaying Triple G for his first fight? I mean, yeah, but, you know, again, I like their business model. I don't think it matters if they're overpaying, you know, for fights like that or fighters like that as long as they hit that long-term subscriber goal. I just think to your point, like, there's a lot of people in boxing that are still thinking that they're operating on this system that was in place three years ago where you had two competing networks with basically the same goals. I mean, now we've got four different networks with all different KPIs, all different goals, you know, which means you have a very dynamic fighter play marketplace. I've talked about that a lot. Uh, you know, especially with the zone two, remember there's a lot of inefficiencies that are out of the equation because they are direct to consumer streaming. And when you do pay for your cable bill, you're paying your cable company. And then you're, you're also paying ultimately the station that you're subscribing for. So that goes for Showtime, ESPN, and FS1. I mean, obviously not Fox, but Fox gets redistrib uh, distri redistribution fees as well. Uh, I obviously don't snicker at zone. That is well established. Um, I take a lot of crap for it on Twitter, and I don't care. Um, I think they're playing a larger game of chess with the industry at large. You kind of know that. I don't think they're specifically doing it with the PBC, though. I think if the, if the PBC and DAZN's interests happen to align, I think, great, then their interests uh, will align and they will work together. Benjamin Hernandez asks, Do you think Showtime will become a major player, something like HBO used to be at one time, or do you see them out of the sport after their present deal with PBC is over? Benjamin, so for me, Showtime was the top player in boxing last year, and I think they are still holding that belt. We have just gone through what's a very weird period where they haven't been as active, and that's actually spanned quite a few months now. Showtime's beginning of 2018, for me, was about as good as it gets in terms of high-quality curated boxing content, but the end of 2018 was obviously a little dry, and then 
you know, you still look in terms of the overall year they had, I'd say they had a really strong year and they were the industry leader going into 2019. The problem is their 2019 has been very weak so far, uh, which I think is mostly due to circumstances with the PBC and how they're putting out programming on Fox. Uh, and that's starting to change in May with the Wilder Brazil fight. But let's be honest, if you're a boxing fan, you probably could have stopped your subscription to Showtime in October of last year, started it back up in May, and felt pretty good about what will end up being seven months that you didn't pay 15 bucks for. I don't think Showtime is at risk of being out of the sport in 2019, or likely 2020 for that matter. I mean, I know they send a longer deal than that with the PBC, but you do have to question how solid the deal is in terms of guarantees and outs. You know, especially at this point, I mean, we it's been a long time. Like, I mean, budgets are made year after year, so I think Showtime is just sort of holding back right now. Um, but the bottom line here is that, you know, with boxing and sports in general, I mean, they're still very important to Showtime in terms of how it brands itself to subscribers. And that means they need to be putting on premium boxing, and they definitely need to be doing it more regularly than they have been in the last seven months. Because honestly, if you just isolate those seven months, it, you are correct. It feels a lot like HBO's schedule as HBO is heading on its way out of the business. I see that changing in a major way with the May 18 card. Um, I suspect we'll see a strong run after that. You know, PBC has says both public, publicly and privately that they need to. Uh, they understand they need to keep both parties happening, uh, happy here, but I don't think it takes a genius to figure out that their programming on Showtime needs to be better than their programming on Fox. I mean, if they're both the same quality, then no one is going to pay for boxing on Showtime when the alternative is the same quality free on Fox. And I mean, that's not even factoring in PBC's competitors here. That's literally just the PBC universe, like not the rest of the boxing universe. Okay, John Boy, 1986, asks, what's the deal with all PBC shows going over the allotted time? John Boy, I addressed this a little bit up top, but I think it really, I, I wish I had a more complex explanation for this. I think it just really comes down to poor scheduling. I mean, I get it, the big, yeah, on the big Fox front, I get it because on the East Coast, they need to schedule the fights such that the affiliates get a big lead in. So I think, the affiliates, and that's on a Saturday night, and that's starting at 8. So most, you know, the Fox affiliate news will come on at 10. So you're you're supposed to be scheduling two hours. I mean, really, it ends up being about two and a half hours. But the affiliates won't care if they get a big lead-in, and the main event is where the fight is peaking. So that's that's really what's happening on that front. Obviously, that matters less as you get out of the East Coast. Um. I myself would be fine with watching less Joey Spencer and more Quill and Truax or Derevchenko Kolke. I especially don't like having the lesser fight as the second fight sandwiched in between. I mean, in a vacuum, I understand the strategy to build up guys like Joey Spencer or F.A. Jogbe, But look, given how much boxing there is out there, I just don't think you need to really do that right now unless Fox is really asking for it. Uh, but I... You know, I don't, I just think it's poor scheduling. I think you just it just goes back to why would you ever think a baseball game would only take three hours 
uh, on TV. I mean, I don't really watch baseball, but I've any time a baseball game has been on before boxing, I always end up watching or fast forwarding through two or three innings of baseball, and and don't really care. I mean, usually you just come down to, oh my god, I hope I went over enough on my DVR. Uh, or you just change the channel and, and watch something else and come back to it and hope that the the live boxing isn't on on Fox Sports 2 or something like that. Troy W. asks, since an app like DAZN, who has a lot of great fighters but not the subs, uh, do you think they'll eventually have to have pay-per-views to attract uh, a, a broader audience and get a return on their investment? So Troy, there's actually been a lot of speculation inside the boxing community that this will happen. I mean, DAZONE is a progressive company, and I would have guessed that they've talked about this internally. But honestly, I don't really think that's the way to look at it. I mean, I, I look at it as, like, when I, to, to even before we answer your question, really, I look at it at, at boxing as how much money am I spending on boxing at the end of the year. So not not like oh, I'm spending 75 bucks on a pay-per-view right now, but more like, okay, I spent 180 bucks on HBO or Showtime this past year, or I spent $99 on DAZN, or $49 on ESPN+. And then I look at the pay-per-views, um, you know, et cetera. Or, or with DAZN also, obviously, $20 a month if you don't do the year-long plan. Um, but when you look at that $20 a month if you don't do the year-long plan, like DAZN... It's kind of like the way I phrase Showtime in my end of the year show. And Showtime essentially put, they charge basically 15 bucks a month and they put on essentially one $15 pay-per-view for you every month. And you just hope it's a really good card. And the difference between a $15 pay-per-view and a $75 pay-per-view, obviously beyond being $60, is that, well, affiliates and, and cable companies get their cut of the action too. Uh, and... It's obviously a bigger fight. That's why they're charging more money for it. So I just kind of look at it. If you're doing that $20 and you're going to go, let's say you're going to pick four months to subscribe to and save 10 bucks. I mean, it seems like a lot of work to save 10 bucks. But DAZN's essentially charging you a mini pay-per-view. And, and based off what I was saying, it's really only half the cost of a normal pay-per-view minus the distribution fees. If you buy a $75 pay-per-view, you're basically paying because DAZN is direct to consumer, there's no affiliate distribution fees. You're basically you're they're charging you you know you're paying thirty eight bucks for that, and they're basically charging you half that for a month, and then boom, that's a mini pay per view. I'm sure DAZN doesn't think about it that way because their whole advertising campaign is anti pay per view, but it's one way to think about it. I'd say that if you make pay per view or Going back to your question, now that we've sort of framed it out of think about it, I'd say if you make pay-per-view or monthly fees more expensive, you typically reduce your audience base. And I think DAZN is not at all interested in reducing their audience base. They want to expand their audience base. So I think for now, we as core fans are just being impatient for the time being. And then their upcoming stretch, we'll see if they if this really gets to be sustainable or not from them. But I don't think they will go to, to doing pay-per-views. Uh, at least for right now, or or it depends what you define as a pay-per-view. Rob Riggler asks, how much does DAZN not having built-in brand recognition hurt its chances of succeeding, i.e., if it was called the Netflix of sports, how much would it improve its chances? And Rob, I can't even begin to articulate how DAZN not having brand recognition makes it an uphill battle for them. 
it's one of the reasons I'm so fascinated with them because in a lot of ways they are the Netflix or Amazon of sports and they have a lot of data from around the world, you know, which as Netflix and Amazon have showed us in other areas that it's having a lot of data from around the world is an extremely important element to achieving success. It helps you out in so many different ways. They also have a proven model that has worked around the world, but not in the United States yes, and, uh, yet, and more on this next episode. Anyway, we, we actually have more questions about DAZN. Cormac1971 asks, wonder about DAZN's expansion plans. Would they not be better looking for subs in UK and Ireland than selling fights, uh, fight rights to Sky Sports? Lots of boxing fans to the side of the water who would sign up or is part of their deal with Hearn that he has to sell the rights to Sky. Cormac, great question. And while I don't know the full contract situation of Hearn's relationship with Sky in the UK, if I'm DAZN, I am definitely looking to expand into the UK. I mean, the market is ripe for it. There's a pay-per-view basically every month. I know they're less expensive than they are in the United States, but that DAZN argument would resonate. Uh, DAZN has openly stated they want to enter new markets. And I mean, you have to think they've been looking at the UK since they are literally based in the UK. Quite frankly, if I'm Sky Sports, I'm nervous and I'm wondering how much extra money is needed to keep Eddie Hearn and Anthony Joshua happy. I think for DAZN, the real question is how many years are left on the Sky deal and then what would it take to get AJ off pay-per-view in the UK? Once you answer those questions, you can probably enter the market in a real way whenever you wanted based on those answers. And you kind of have those answers because you know, you know, based on AJ's fight with uh, Miller on June 1st, you, you kind of know what it takes to get Anthony Joshua off pay-per-view in the UK. Um, you know, and they have a lot of other fighters where, where DAZN owns the worldwide rights. You know, so you also have to weigh in if there's other countries in Latin America or other parts of the world that you want to enter before the UK and how you prioritize stuff. Um, I'll attempt to find out more about this. I think this is a fun story to watch for all the UK fans out there. Okay, John Bolton sent me a wonderful email where he basically told me to stop coughing or have a cough button. And guess what? I will do that. I promised everyone out there that I'm going to get better at producing the show and making the listening experience better. Uh, when I started this thing, there were very few boxing podcasts out there, and now there are a lot of really good ones. And I want mine to be produced well to have a place with them. You know, just off the top of my head, I mean, I love State of Combat. I said that at the beginning, I did a whole segment on them. I, I wasn't kidding at all. That's a fun one for me to listen to. Obviously, I'm going to plug the ones here on Leave It in the Ring with what Kurt does and with what Dave and Gabe do. You know, we're all sort of doing different things on this platform, and I think it works well in concert. Uh, I think Steve Kim and Mario Lopez do a really fun one as well. I think the Michael Woods show is really good, especially, I mean, God, I love Art Lovely. Whenever he's a guest, that's like automatic drop everything and listen. Uh, Showtime has committed to podcasts in a real way. I worked with Kieran and Eric at HBO. I'm partial to them. I think they do a really good job. I love how they cover other parts of the boxing universe. Um, 
And I also think there's absolutely room for what Pauli Malinaji and Brendan Schaub are doing. And I mean, before I get hardcores, because you guys let me know, I hear it from you guys, before I get hardcore saying that they don't like Schaub's podcast, I mean, I'd say, guess what? It's not for you. I mean, the dude really has a big following in the MMA and comedy world, and I think he's meant to appeal more to casuals, and I am fine with that strategy. Not all podcasts need to be for hardcore fans. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't get to all of them each week, um, but there's others out there that do great stuff or represent like a certain voice in boxing that has a real home. Like Teddy Atlas, the guys from Tale of the Tape, the, you know, Tris Dixon, the boxing believer dude, the guy who does box track. Like there's moments that happen in the sport where I'm like, oh, I got to get the, the take from, you know, Vince and Kenny Keith or whatever, you know, like it just each one has their own segment where you're like, oh, I want to hear this guy's take on this. Uh, and I fully understand with mine that people are coming to listen to this for the deep dives on the business issues. And that's what differenti differentiates me so much so that, I mean, even when I do a review or preview section, I try not to talk about what actually happened in the ring because I think others do it better or more timely than me. So I try to basically have it all be about business stuff. Um, but anyways, I will continue to try to do a better job on just producing it in general. I mean, you guys, you know, I've talked about it before. I, I basically do record this in my house. Um, and, you know, that's that's what it is. It's basically me sort of just talking on, on these issues. So, uh, but I'll, I'll try not to cough and I kind of figured out a little solve for that. Um, and, you know, we'll go from there. All right. On to the preview section, and we're now fully in the thick of it with the upcoming boxing schedule. Like, this is really the good stuff coming up. So, on Saturday, April 20th, we have ESPN pay-per-view from Madison Square Garden, Terrence Crawford fighting Amir Khan. Obviously, under normal circumstances, the deep dive this week would have been about what was going on in this promotion, but I've mentioned it before. I'm not going to talk about this since I'm consulting on the fight. Um, I am leaving this one alone uh, and, and staying out of it because I'm a journalist on this show and my, that is part of a, of a business consulting agreement. Needless to say, I hope all the listeners buy this fight. I mean, I'm guessing if you're a hardcore fan, you're either going to buy it or you've made a decision on it to buy it or not. Uh, that's obviously not the case for general public fans. I'm recording this on Tuesday. The actual marketing plan should be out in full force by now with a really strong push for, you know, towards the end of the week. The line of fights is, is Crawford Khan, Shakur Stevenson, Christopher Diaz, Tiafimo Lopez versus Edis Tatley, and then Felix Verdejo versus Brian Vasquez. Prelims are on ESPN2. Uh, if you want my actual thoughts, like my thoughts on the actual fight, I was on the Chris Mannix podcast before I ever signed on to, to do the consulting agreement, and they haven't changed. I mean, I think Crawford is a big favorite. He should win by KO, but I also think Amir Khan has a real pathway to victory, and he will likely we will likely see a scenario where Amir Khan is winning uh, up several rounds, and I think it should be dramatic TV. I'll leave it for that for right now. You know, I'll leave it at that for right now and move on. Also on Saturday, April 20th, on Fox, we have Danny Garcia versus Adrian Granados. 
with Andy Ruiz versus Alexander Dimitrenko on the undercarded heavyweight. Garcia is mostly between a 25 and 30 to 1 favorite, though you can find him as low as 15 to 1 at one site. Ruiz is between a 12 and 15 to 1 favorite. This is a semi-interesting fight card for me, and I think uh, will be over well before the main event starts, so I'm interested in comparing the pay-per-view buy rate with the TV ratings that Fox gets and and looking at the timing of how those time out. As far as TV entertainment goes, though, Granados has made good fights before. It's a you know he's a pretty interesting measuring stick for Garcia right now. Who knows with these heavyweights? I mean, I don't know what to really say about that. Uh, the fight odds aren't great for this card. I think it could end up being entertaining television overall, though. I think Garcia could put himself in line for a really big payday if he wins because there are big fights out there at welterweight. I mean. No one's talking about this. He he could conceivably fight Crawford if the big fights on the PBC side are all made. And, you know, I mean, look, Aram has straight up said that if Crawford wins, he'll call Al to make Crawford Spence to make that fight later this year. I mean, you've heard my thoughts about that. Like, I, I don't need to relitigate that. I don't think that fight will get made right away. I mean, nor... From a financial standpoint, I don't think it should get made right away. I think there's plenty of other fights out there for both guys. Um, but here's the weird thing. I'm not even sure that Al would feel like he needs to freeze Crawford out anymore. I think that was his strategy for a while. But I think especially if Crawford does well on pay-per-view, it honestly might be in Al's favor to give one of his guys a, a ultimately what would be a very lucrative opportunity to fight Crawford because, you know, let's, let's say Crawford and Garcia win. If they make that fight next, you could make an argument. It's a win-win for Al. I mean, if Garcia upsets Crawford, then he's, you know, Al's got everyone. He's got all the belts at a glamour division and Crawford's truly frozen out. If Crawford wins and, you know, you're, if both parties know that they're eventually going to make Crawford Spence, and I think they know that at this point, I don't, I don't, I have no inside info on it, but I think you just, in terms of demand from the public, I think you have to, you, you we have to see that. I, I think it actually, you might as well build it up. If you know that's the ultimate result, you might as well build it up by feeding Crawford one of your guys. Anyways, um, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying that's a potential curveball in terms of the way to think about it. On Friday, April 26th, from Inglewood on the zone, we have Srisaket Sorum B side versus Juan Francisco Estrada for the WBC Junior Bantamweight title. Daniel Roman versus TJ Doheny in a Junior Featherweight Unification fight. Jesse Vargas versus Umberto Soto and Scott Quigg versus Jason Velez. I will be attending this fight in person and from top to bottom. You know, from a full-blown, pure fight fan standpoint, this is going to be one of the best fight cards of the year. It's built for hardcore fans who like action. It will clearly be a candidate, uh, you know, both to be great on paper and to be incredible television. Um, Sri Sikets or Rungvisa is like a 2-to-1 favorite over Estrada. Roman is like 5 or 6 to 1 over Doheny, but I think that's a close fight either way. There's just not a lot of tape out there on Doheny. 
Vargas is like a six or seven to favorite one over Soto, but Soto clearly has a pathway to victory if you watched him fight against Rios and you've seen Jesse Vargas fight recently. And then Quig's a bigger favorite. He's like 25 or 30 to one over Velas, but Velas makes good fights. That should be great action. Uh, again, my next deep dive will be on this stretch for DAZN, which will include results from this fight. Uh, and the next day, I'll obviously be spending more time on Canelo Jacobs. So on Saturday, April 27th, from Louisiana on DAZN, we have the WBSS, the World Boxing Super Series semifinals, with Regis Progre taking on Kirill Relic for the WBA Junior Welterweight title. Zolane Tete is fighting Nonito Donaire in a bantamweight unification fight. Progre is a 5-1 to favorite. Tete is like 5 or 6-1 to favorite. Both of these fights should be good TV. The underdogs definitely have pathways to victory. They definitely have real chances. I'm a big fan of the World Boxing Super Series. I will leave it at that and talk about it more in the next episode. On Saturday, April 27th as well, there's a semi-interesting ESPN Plus fight featuring Daniel Dubois and Richard Larte. It's not that interesting. Dubois is like a 51 favorite, but he is on my list of people that I'm interested in watching. Enough on that. Finally, on Saturday, April 27th, from Las Vegas on Showtime, we have Robert Easter Jr. fighting Rancis Bartholomew for a vacant title. Victor Postal fighting Mohamed Mumun and F.A. Ajagbe fighting Michael Wallace at heavyweight. Easter is about a 7-1 favorite. Postal Mumun is basically even odds, and F.A. Ajagbe is like a 10-1 favorite. I don't love this card. If we're being honest, all these fights feel like undercards. None of them really get me that excited. Again, I've talked about it before. Showtime's been weak so far in 2019. That all changes soon, and I expect less cards. I expect these to all be undercard level fights that we're going to see on bigger main events for the rest of the year from Showtime. All right, that is it for this episode. As I, as I said up top, next episode on DAZONE. I hope to have a written piece up soon on ringtv.com. My last piece was in the magazine, so if you don't subscribe, you missed it. And like I've said on this episode, this is the beginning of a really strong stretch in the sport of boxing. Enjoy these next two weeks. Uh, There are some really good fights out there. Talk to you after that. All right, bye, guys. Did you get what you was looking for?